0: listening to the Boss Level Podcast. This is an interview with Zoe Chance, a Yale professor and author of Influence is Your Superpower. Thanks to Nordic Business Forum for making this interview happen. I hope you enjoy the episode. This episode is sponsored by Vincent. What the Duck is Vinsit? Vinsit is what happens when you put together the forerunners in modern software development, SAP consultancy and strategic design. Vinsit creates digital products and services for people and the planet and helps brands, manufacturers and retailers to level up their game with digital commerce. Join the ride at Vincit.com in creating better Mondays for us all. So uh, thanks for your amazing keynote here at Nordic Business Forum. And how are you liking Helsinki so far?
1: You know, it's so beautiful. And I really want to come back and explore with my baby girl because I have only half a day. And I... <laughs> that's not a awesome. No, no, I get to see almost nothing. So what I've heard is that for bringing my daughter back, we should go to Lapland and Santa's Village.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, you've written a book on influence and you teach a course on it at uh, Yale University. So isn't influencing something that scam artists and obnoxious salespeople do when they're trying to get you to do something or buy something that you really, really don't want?
1: Yeah, it gets such a bad rap for that reason, (laughs) because we've all been the target of really annoying or manipulative salespeople, con artists, marketers. I've been a really annoying salesperson and marketer, even selling stuff door to door and telemarketing. So I get it. But those people are so memorable. And what we're not thinking of as much is all of the people in the world who influence us in good ways or comfortable ways every single day. And I want to help people in those kinds of daily interactions, especially with people that we actually like. We care about them and we care what they think about us. So
0: you actually think that people have the wrong idea of what influence is and what it should be used for?
1: I think that we tend to focus on the negative end of the spectrum more than on the positive end. Influence ultimately is power. It's like electricity. So you could power a school and turn the lights on or you could power an electric chair.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, one of the uh, things that I've changed my opinion on is the word negotiation. Because I used to think that negotiation is something that's kind of, you should try to avoid situations where you have to negotiate. And I've kind of switched my view on that, that like negotiation is something that you do in very like day to day things and, and uh, interactions. And it's actually, it's actually a good thing. And, and the result of a good negotiation is something that like everyone wins. Yeah, in in that. So I guess that's that's one way that we should try to look at influencing people. That we should try to influence people to do good things. Yeah. Am I getting you correctly? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's interesting you mentioned the shift in your thinking about negotiation. And I'm so happy that you had that shift. When I ask people how they feel about negotiating in general, four out of five people say it's yucky. (laughs) They don't look forward (laughs) to it, although it's of the people who like it, there are, it was 17% more men than women say they like negotiating. However, when I ask people to describe their most recent negotiation and ask how they felt about it, a similar number, four out of five people say they had a good negotiation, good outcome, good experience. They felt good about it. So most of our negative feelings about negotiation is fear of something abstract that's not actually happening. And the regular life negotiations usually go pretty well.
0: Yeah, and I think negotiation as a like as a word and probably also influence it, it has this uh this potential for you losing something that, that you you either get to, you you're tricked into doing something that you don't want to do or you you end up losing in negotiation i think that might be one of the reasons why people kind of shy away from those terms
1: yeah yeah and we also have this idea that other people are just trying to push us and feeling very competitive
0: So one of the things that you teach is that people should just ask. Can you explain that? What's that all about?
1: It's so simple, right? It's almost silly to even talk about it. And like, here I'm like, oh, yeah, professor teaching about influence. And you just ask. But most people don't realize how much they're not asking until they start practicing. And then they have this mental shift that at first feels really empowering. And they're like, oh wow, there are all kinds of things in the world that possibilities that are open to me that I never would have realized. And then, (laughs) then they go, oh no. And they look back at the rest of their life up until this moment and realize how much they've been missing out on before they really started practicing asking. And the big, biggest thing when you're practicing asking more often for more, Of more people is that you start to see possibilities that were invisible to you before you made this shift.
0: So essentially what you like you said that is super simple. So what you're saying is that people when they want something or they think that something should be like would be useful for them, you should just try to ask if you can have it or if you can get to do it and so on. And that's the simple idea. And you think that people are just too afraid to ask that very simple question.
1: Yes and What research finds is that a big reason that we're not asking as much, as often as many people as we could, is that we're bad at perspective taking, where we're focused on how difficult would it be for that other person to say yes, but when someone is asking us what we feel is how difficult it is to say no. These same many, many experiments find people are two or three times more likely to say yes than we anticipate that they would be. And Other research in this domain that I find really cool is on what they call an asking gap. And they find this 12% asking gap where people like you 12% more than you realize. And this is one reason that you're more <laughs> likely to get what you want when you ask than you think you would be. Twelve percent asking, guess. Very to precise.
0: That. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, sounds really good. Uh, and how, how about another like useful thing that I found when I was looking up your work and and uh, and going through the things that that you've been working on is like you have the magic question. Can you talk a little about like what's the magic question and how do you use the magic question?
1: I'd love to talk about it. It's my favorite influence tool, and it's one of the very simplest ones. It is simply the question, what would it take? But it requires a little bit of uh, fleshing out in the concrete situation, because it's like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> Here's an example. This is a story that an American feminist, Gloria Steinem, told when she came to my hometown in Connecticut. She was talking about when she was working on the problem of sex trafficking, and she'd gone to a conference in Zambia, and after the conference, she's visiting this small village in a rural area where three young women had been lost to sex trafficking in the previous year, and no one had heard from them again. She's sitting down with a group of women on a tarp in the middle of a barren field, and she asks the magic question. She asks, what would it take for that to never happen again in this village so that nobody's gonna be sex trafficked. They told her an electric fence. An electric fence? They said, when the corn reaches a certain height, the elephants come and they eat it. The families are desperate. They have nothing to eat. They have nothing to sell in the market. They have no money to send their kids to school. And Gloria Sinem says, okay, whoa. If I raise the money, will you build the fence? They say, yes. So she does, and they do. And the way she tells it, she comes back a few years later. There is a huge crop of corn, and nobody has been sex trafficked from that village since they got the fence. The magic question works on multiple levels. And first of all, it's respectful. Because it's respectful, other people are open-minded when they hear it. And you're showing them that you are influenceable. You're not just trying to influence them. This is a two-way conversation. And you often get results or requests or a trail of breadcrumbs that you just couldn't have anticipated. Like you and I could brainstorm. We'd never think of an electric fence. But then the thing that isn't as obvious about the magic question is when the other person has given you that trail of breadcrumbs and they get followed, they've committed to that outcome, supporting it so The way I interpret the story is not that the fence magically solved the problem of sex trafficking, but it's the women who asked for the fence who made sure that no one was going to be sex trafficked once they got the fence.
0: So it's actually not only about like uh, the concrete things that happen potentially as a result of that question, it's also the kind of the ownership that you create by asking that question into solving that problem. So what you're saying is that it's not just the electric fence, it's everything else that happens as a result because people started being more committed to making sure that it never happens again.
1: Yeah, it creates a relationship and it creates accountability.
0: So what do you think that that specific question like what makes that so magical is there like it's such a simple question why is it so that this can bring out like ownership in people and and this change in people
1: it can spark a mindset shift where normally people have an immediate visceral reaction to influence like you're not the boss of me you don't tell me what to do and resistance is a normal part of the process But with the magic question, you can shift them from this resistance perspective to a collaborative problem solving perspective. So
0: uh, when you talk about influencing people, you say that we should help them take the path of least resistance. What specifically does that mean?
1: The path of least resistance is (laughs) just a way of saying people are so much lazier than you could possibly imagine. (laughs) And they ignore almost every influence attempt. So whatever it is you're trying to influence them to do, first of all, they're probably not even paying attention because they're always focused on something else. And when I say people are lazy, I'm not saying that they don't work hard. They do, but they are very, very reluctant to shift paths to do whatever the thing is that you wanted them to do because they're already busy with other stuff. They're already distracted. and. When you think that you're making it easy for people by saying, you know, you only have to make one phone call, you only have to check a box, all you have to do is email this thing, all you have to do is get back to me, the majority of people in the majority of situations will do nothing. And so you need to make it as easy as possible and require as little from them as possible. And if we're talking about running a team and employees and all of that, I get it. People need to do actual work. But what also matters is how easy it feels. So even at work, the more we can strip out bureaucracy, the more productive people will be. My Are favorite you behind topic. That? Yeah, okay. my, one of my
0: favorite topics is exactly like bureaucracy is one of these things that creates unnecessary overhead, which makes it harder for you to get things done. And it's like, it's a simple thing that if you simply reduce that, like the amount of that bureaucracy, people will get things done easier. Yes. It's super simple. And
1: they will be happy and they will even put in extra effort.
0: If we're thinking about this in the context of organizations and and, and managing teams or, or companies, what can we do to make changes easier?
1: You can ask them. You can ask the magic question, right? What would it take? For this to be easy, what parts of your job are really hard and annoying, yeah, and they will just tell you
0: <laughs> I love that because this is like it is so simple, but once again, it's something that we don't often do. It's just like we assume and we think that like this is probably something that they need, but we could just ask them yeah <laughs> and and it'll probably give us some insights that we wouldn't get to like by just like us making assumptions on what they what the people need, so um. So I'm going to push back on your ideas a little next. Do it. So, so what if I would argue that no one should study how to influence people? So, for example, Linus Torvalds, who created the Linux operating system, has a lot of influence because he's because of his expertise and his skill. And I am guessing that he has never studied how to influence people. And and what if I said that people shouldn't spend time improving their skills of influence or persuasion and instead they should just focus on their expertise and domain knowledge?
1: I love this question and I love that you want to push back because it's fun. And I'm happy for people to become experts, but it breaks my heart to see how little success they have when they have a mountain of expertise and talent and they work incredibly hard, but they didn't develop the influence skills that they needed to have people get to know about their work. So we know about the Linux operating system, but how many other geniuses are there whose work we've never heard of because they didn't know how to have us find out about them. Just asking, as a very simple example, is people who already have more power and more privilege feel more comfortable exercising power, advocating for themselves, asking for things. And so it's not random who gets to have more attention or more resources or more connections. It's people who are advocating for themselves and power ends up circulating in a loop where it doesn't get distributed in any sort of democratic way. So this is one of my goals in teaching influence.
0: So basically what you're saying is that this is not an either or question. You can build your expertise and your skills in, in whatever domain you're working in, but you can still try to improve your skills and influence. And. What like would one way of putting this be that like uh, using influence and your skills of persuasion are a way for you to leverage whatever your skills are and your expertise is.
1: That's a great frame. Yeah, it's perfect. And and to put it in another very simple, concrete term is that people's judgments of each other fall into two domains, and it's about someone's warmth and someone's competence. And we're talking about competence, right, as the expertise. However, the warmth judgments happen quicker, they're more powerful, and they're stickier. And we end up persuading ourselves to work or not work with people we like or don't like. And if we don't like somebody, it doesn't matter how much expertise they have. If we like them, we're willing to make a lot of excuses for them to try to have it work out. Most people don't know that even though we're good at perceiving warmth from other people when we're in the same room, we're terrible at perceiving warmth from written communication. And we end up, when we're reading somebody's emails or texts or whatever, we don't just strip out the emotion. It's not that it's neutral, but we read a lot of aggression that wasn't intended. And we don't read a lot of the warmth that was intended. So it's very helpful when you're writing to be conscious of expressing warmth in a way that you don't have to so much interpersonally, the other person smiles. It's easy to smile. And yes, we can do more of that interpersonally too, but focus on warmth when we're writing. And another super, super, super simple thing is just focus on learning people's names and using people's names. And I haven't been using your name because <laughs> I know I'm going to mispronounce it. Can you teach me to pronounce it again? Sami. Sami. Yes. Sami. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I actually, I, I love that, like the, the, the idea that you should try to express warmth when you when you write it, because like, yeah, it's really easy for you to like read in Into people's emails that they're being aggressive here when they're actually not being aggressive. And like you said, just like if it's only written down, and especially if it's someone you don't know and you don't kind of, you can't put it into like the context of that person because you don't know them yet. Yeah, it's really hard to to misunderstand. And
1: even if you do know them, it's easy to take it personally.
0: Actually, one uh, really interesting thing that you talked about uh, in your talk here at Nordic Business Forum was uh, using the customer effort score, which was actually a completely new concept to me, the customer effort score instead of the net promoter score, you could use that to assess how your business is doing. So what's the customer effort score and why is it useful?
1: It's so funny to me that this is a marketing metric developed by marketing research professionals, but I think they weren't great at marketing it because most (laughs) people haven't heard of the customer effort score. It's super simple and it's basically the question, how much effort did it take? for you to do whatever it was that a customer was trying to do. And when you ask people how much effort it took, that is almost the only need, only question you need to ask to predict whether they're going to repurchase, whether they're going to complain. And when you think about it, whether they're gonna repurchase or complain should really have to do with the outcome. But in fact, it has to do with the process. And a key thing about the customer effort score is that it's measuring perceived effort which is even more important for predicting behavior than actual effort. And when you think about, for example, you call customer service and they put you on hold and it feels really difficult and annoying to be on hold, but all that you have to do is literally nothing and you can go about your life. There's nothing that's really effortful about it. It just feels effortful and you start to build up hatred.
0: And I remember uh, reading this somewhere that like when the call is actually answered and then they start like telling you how like they've s- spent 30 minutes on the queue and then the people uh, answering the phone can often see that they were actually in queue for four minutes. Oh, but, <laughs> but it feels like 30. it feels like 30. Oh, that, that makes it, sense. Yeah. But I hadn't
1: heard that. That's <laughs> yeah.
0: funny. Yeah. And it's it's... I guess it's just the fact that like you kind of you can't get into this mode of like I'm just passively waiting you're like actively waiting <laughs> for the other person to pick up yeah,
1: yeah waiting and hating <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah what's the one thing that people should start doing to have more influence on others
1: we've talked about a number of one things like make it easy as possible ask the magic question warmth especially in your written communications and if I had to choose one more, it's, the jargony term is reinforcing autonomy, but what you're doing is you're just taking off the pressure. What you do when you take off the pressure is just say something like, hey, Sammy, like, I know you might be really busy, but in case you have time. Or I say, um, I don't know if this is your cup of tea, but I've got this idea. Or I say, um, listen, please don't say yes unless you really want to do this. There are all kinds of ways of me just letting you know, this is your choice, it's not my choice. And I can do that, let's say, even if I were the boss of you, I would say, could say something like, here's the situation, here's what I would like to see happen, but I can't control you, and it's up to you if you're willing to do that, or if you want to do that.
0: This reminds me of like... uh coaching methods that actually some of the coaching methods that uh, teach that like when you go into a topic that you haven't discussed before you always ask for per permission before that you ask like is it okay if we talk about this yeah. and it's also the same principle or the same idea that you give autonomy that the other person could also say that I don't want to talk about this and then you're okay fine but if they say that yeah it's okay to talk about this then you've given them autonomy to start talking about them that it was actually their decision also
1: yeah and it's not just that they have said that it's okay, but in saying that, they will give you as much of their attention and open-mindedness as possible once they say yes.
0: Yeah. How about like an exercise? What's an exercise that you would recommend for people uh, who would like to be better at persuasion?
1: We were talking about written and spoken communication and this one is easier to do in written communication. And it's doing an email audit to look for diminishers. And what diminishers are, are ways of making yourself small so that you don't appear arrogant or aggressive or too powerful to the other person. It's, in essence, it's a submission sort of posture. There's nothing wrong with this idea of letting other people know that you're not a threat, except that usually they already know that you're not a threat. And we think that people will like us better for doing this but they don't it's just hard to pay attention to and diminishers are usually preambles of types like I could be wrong but um, I I was just wondering uh, I hope that I'm not annoying you but and when we give these preambles other people's attention just tunes out and it's they're less interested in what we have to say then so instead of introducing your great ideas like this. You could introduce your great idea with something more direct and fun. Like, hey, I've got a crazy idea. Here it is, right? Don't you want to read that email? I want to read that one.
0: This uh, just uh, got me thinking about this, like how this kind of changes depending on where you are in the organization. So I think that, like, if you're sending this email to like the CEO of the company and you're an employee at the company, it's really important that you don't diminish your your message by like uh, with these with these starters. But then, then again, like for the CEO of the company, it can be the other way around that they should actually because whatever they say has a lot of weight regardless of like if it has (laughs) merits like when you say something as a CEO it's always like people read so much into it and think that it is something big because the CEO said it and that's when it's it can actually be a good thing that you actually diminish your message a little that is like it's not that important but here's something that I was thinking so that people don't take it too literally
1: if you're doing it intentionally exactly for those kinds of reasons where you're literally saying this idea should be diminished.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Then yeah. absolutely I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh closing off, what's a book that you would recommend?
1: Well, of course, listeners if you've been interested in this conversation, you'll be interested in my book of which is course. called Influences Your Superpower <laughs> and um I'm donating half the profits for to organizations fighting the climate crisis. Yeah, that was lots awesome, more yeah. stuff like this. But um one of the books that I've read this year that I loved, and I just think, Sami, for some reason that you'll particularly like this one, is a book called The Art of Insubordination. It's very cool. It's a great book on communicating with people who disagree with you and advocating for ideas individually and collectively when other people don't easily get on board.
0: I have to say, at, at least the title, I love it. <laughs> 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 Thanks a lot for your time, Zoe. It was awesome to meet you.
1: Thank you. Great to meet you, Sami.
0: Thanks for listening. Have a great week.